Okay, mic check, one, two, one, two, one, two. Uh, yeah, let's get it. Okay, so if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Everybody, welcome back to Adventures in Black Cinema, your passport to black film. My name is Desmond Thorne, and I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. And tis the season of the Oscar. Blah, 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 blah. So yes, we are in the thick of Oscar season. The nominations have been announced a few weeks ago. And there are some good things, and there are some disappointments per usual. There is not as much trash nominated as there has been in the past, I must say. Specifically thinking of the year in which the film that we're talking about today was released, that year for nominations was absolute trash, and we'll get into that. There are some great things, you know, A few films and performances that we've talked about on the show, like some performances from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, were nominated. And there are still some, you know, disappointments. History has been made in some ways in terms of two Black women being nominated for Best Actress at the same time. That hasn't happened in a very, very long time. This is the first year that we've had an Asian-American Steven Yun, who I love, nominated for Best Actor. This is the first time that that has ever happened, which is insane. We also have Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, who has been the first Muslim man to be nominated for Best Actor. So there are some really good things, some quote-unquote progress, you know. We also have the documentary Time, which I did a trust and believe on getting nominated for Best Documentary, as it should. And still, you know, where are the other nominations for One Night in Miami? This film should be nominated for Best Picture. Kingsley Ben-Adir should be nominated. Regina King should be nominated. You know, I have many gripes. Delroy Lindo for Defy Bloods, one of the best performances of the year, hands down, was not nominated. So it appears that they still don't know exactly what to do with a lot of black films. I mean, they nominated the performances for Monterey's Black Bottom, but not the film. It's, It's still a doozy. There's still so much work to be done, but I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about that as time goes on, as things progress, as the guilds give out their awards and such. So we'll see. We'll see. But like I said, I'm happy for those things that I mentioned. I think Minari is one of the best films that was released in 2020. So I will be rooting for that along with everybody who's Black. I'm rooting for my Black folks and our Asian cousins. So there you go. There you go. And... This week on Adventures in Black Cinema, greetings from New York, New York. We will be taking an adventure in loving and lighting, and we will be talking about the film If Beale Street Could Talk. But first, a little trust and believe. So those of you who are not familiar with the segment Trust and Believe, Trust and Believe is a segment in which I put y'all onto a film that I think deserves more eyes on it. Something that's independent, something that's international sometimes, something that I think has not gotten to the height of 
notoriety that I think that it deserves. And this week's Trust and Believe is a film called Premature. Premature was directed by Rashad Ernesto Green. It was released in 2019. And this is a film that I had heard about when I was at the Sundance Film Festival in early 2019. And this is another New York City set love story like the one we're going to talk about today. But this is set in present times and tells the story of Ayana, who is played by the co-writer of the film, Zora Howard, in the summer before she heads off to college, when she meets a guy named Isaiah, played by Joshua Boone, who quickly rocks her world and they begin a summer romance. Of course, life being the way that it is, things start out smoothly and get complicated between the two along the way. I came up with school, but that didn't work out, so now I'm just grinding, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to school in the fall. Short-lived romance, huh? You look grown, too. She said he look grown. But hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, he grown. <laughs> Also, a large part of the story are Ayana's best friends, Sarita, Tanisha, Shantae, and Jamila. And these lovely women are played by Michelle Johnson, Alexis Marie Wint, Imani Lewis, who I gave the You Better Act Award in part to this performance in this film, and Tashiana Washington. The scenes where all of the girls are together are just filled to the brim with the natural chemistry that all of these ladies have together. And these scenes especially are such an extreme joy to watch. I don't want to give too much away because I think I may talk about this film one day and I also just want you to see it. But it's such a dope film in a very organic way. It keeps the audience interested with simple, amazing storytelling. The performances are layered with a sense of ease and it is filled with that wonderful feeling of falling in love in the summer in New York City. Oh, that time is almost upon us and... I can't wait. I don't know what it's going to be like as COVID still continues, but you know, hopefully these vaccines are out and we can start loving on each other. Out. You know what I mean? And this film also reminds me a lot of another hidden gem called Just Another Girl on the IRT, which is a film that I love and would love to talk about one day on the podcast. I can't wait to see what Rashad and Zora do next with their brimming talents. I mean, not only is Zora an excellent excellent, excellent co-writer of this film, but she is an amazing actor. Her performance in this is absolutely wonderful, so I can't wait to see what these two do next, and if you want to check out Premature, it is now streaming on Hulu. So let's get into the nitty-gritty of If Beale Street Could Talk. So If Beale Street Could Talk was released in 2018. It was directed by Barry Jenkins. And here's a little summary of the film, if you have not seen it. This film is based on the novel by James Baldwin and tells the story of a young woman named Tish, played by Kiki Lane, and the love of her life, Fanny, played by Stefan James, as they navigate her new pregnancy while Fanny serves jail time for a crime of rape that he didn't commit and was set up by a racist-ass cop. Though this film takes place in the 70s, Sounds like it could take place today, doesn't it? So the film goes back and forth, showing the love between Tish and Fani before he gets locked up, as well as the quote-unquote present, where Tish and her family fight to get Fani out of jail. This ensemble film also stars huge cast, get ready for it, Regina King, Tiana Paris, Coleman Domingo, Michael Beach, Anjanu Ellis, Diego Luna, Finn Whitrock, Dave Franco, Pedro Pascal, Dominique Thorne, Ebony Obsidian, and Brian Tyree Henry. 
A few fun facts about this film. This book was also adapted into a 1998 French film called A la Place du Coeur, which translates into Where the Heart Is. Now, this is interesting because in this version, most of the characters are white except for the role that is uh, adjacent to Fanny's character. So he's black and the woman that he's dating is white. So from the looks of the trailer that I saw, this is still very much an anti-racism, anti-police piece, but obviously is different when it's not set around a cast of all black folks, pretty much, in Harlem. So I'm not sure how the Baldwin estate felt about this version, but it's not very popular, let's say. I had honestly never heard of this version before, but I I guess I'm interested. Well, no, I'm not really interested to see it, <laughs> but the trailer looks fine. It looks like a fine movie. I'm just like, I don't know. We have this. I don't need to see that. Second fun fact, the Baldwin estate only gave up the rights for this film to be made because it was produced by Brad Pitt's production company, Plan B, and they're fans of his. So it's not like they saw Moonlight and they were like, oh, yeah, this is the guy. Like, this movie that won Best Picture a couple years ago that is beautiful and gorgeous and so perfect. Yeah, this is the guy who will absolutely handle James's work correctly. They're like, oh, Brad Pitt is producing? Okay, okay. Have the rights, have them, do that. So very interesting, very interesting. And I guess that also goes to show why there aren't many films based on James Baldwin's work at all. I think his estate is very, very picky about who handles the adaptation of his work, which I get. You know, he has a legacy and you want to preserve that, but I hope at some point we get more adaptations of his work because it's beautiful. Fun fact number three... For lighting inspiration, Barry and cinematographer James Laxton looked at Roy DeCarva's work to, quote-unquote, translate Baldwin's language in Harlem's clean energy into visual writing and photography, which absolutely comes through. I mean, we will obviously be talking about the lighting during this episode, but it is absolutely just gorgeous. The photography in this film is just stunning. Stunning. But we will get into that. First experiencing this film, I saw this at a matinee screening at the Lowe's Lincoln Square Theater in the basement, where I didn't even know they had theaters. And I saw this pretty early on. It had been out for maybe a couple of weeks. I had friends that had seen it but I had not seen it at the time. I think MoviePass was still a thing at the time. I, I don't know, but I did not know that this place had theaters in the basement and is very strange kind of old school feeling in there. I kind of felt like I was going to a megaplex in the 90s. And there were a few people at the screening, this being a matinee, including a woman with her baby who cried every now and again. So that was a little annoying and distracting. Don't blame this woman for bringing her child to see this movie. You know, if you want to see the movie and this is the only way, I support that. And though I did find this a little annoying and distracting, I still loved the film and thought it was so extremely beautiful and it was really great to watch again without the baby so I could truly truly focus on it and I think it is important to see this film a second time especially if you saw it when it came out because we all had these expectations from seeing Moonlight right and I think following up a film like that is a bit difficult in terms of everyone's kind of expecting something very specific. And this does deliver some of the Moonlight flavors, but it's such a different piece that 
I think you need to see it again to distance yourself from those expectations and also distance yourself from a year in film that was good, but not, it was not treated that way. Like when you have this film out and a film like The Favorite out and you still give Green Book Best Picture and nominate shit like Vice and Bohemian Rhapsody, it makes the year seem like it was a fucking piece of shit. Because if that is what you think the best movies were of that year, that's that's just trash. It was obviously this film and The Favorite, and there's probably some that I can't even think of right now that were ignored even further. But yeah, I think it's definitely worth seeing this film a second time if you've seen it before. So let's get into some of these themes. So I told a little bit of a lie because before we get into these aspects of loving and lighting, we have to do a little performance shakedown breakdown because there are so many people in this movie and all of these performances are incredible. So let's start off with these leads. We have Kiki Lane playing Tish and we have Stefan James playing Fani. Now, Kiki Lane has a really tough job here. She not only has to play Tish in the past and in the present, she also has to do voiceover for a lot of the movie. And doing voiceover, I think I've said before, is one of the most thankless jobs that you can do in a film. Because relying on voiceover as a tool for screenwriting can sometimes come off as lazy for things that you could just show. But this being based on a book and being based on such a rich narrative, voiceover absolutely works in this film. And it's a thankless job because it's it's hard to pull off really good voiceover, just like it's hard to pull off really good acting beyond the fourth wall. It's It's a tough job, and I think she does really well with it. I think that there's such a light and a strength that radiates from her from the second that she gets on screen. I mean, that beautiful, beautiful shot of Tish and Fani walking in the opening of the film, this wonderful aerial view of them walking, these colors in their costumes, this yellow that's almost a gold and this royal blue that they're wearing in their costumes is just so beautiful. And then that cuts straight to her visiting Fani in prison to tell Fani that she is pregnant. And I think that there's a lot of misconceptions about her performance. I think even when I first saw it, I wasn't quite sure of her talent exactly. But watching it again and having seen her in other roles since, including The Old Guard, which is an action film directed by Gina Prince by The Wood, I think she's wonderful. I think she's incredibly versatile. She plays this character perfectly. You know, there needs to be a reminder that she is a 19-year-old girl who is still trying to find her footing in the world in so many ways. And she delivers that strength that I was talking about when needed and goes back and forth between that and this light and this softness It's and this kind of inexperience and then in contrast experience. It is, it's beautiful. It is honestly a tour de force. She's in almost entirely the whole film. I think the only time she really dips out of the film is when her mom, played by Regina King, goes to Puerto Rico. Now, Stefan James is another actor who's very dynamic and gives us so much contrast in this film. You see him being so loving and so tender towards Tish, and you see their love growing and blossoming. You see his body. Oh my God, this man's body is delicious. It is so delicious. 
And also, you know, after being in prison for a while, it is so heartbreaking to see how much life that takes out of him. You see the life literally sucked out of him at one of the prison visits, and it's it's very sad, and he pulls that off so, so well. And let's talk about Miss Regina King here for a second. So Regina King has been acting for 20 plus years, children. 20 plus years. You can go and see film that we've talked about so far, film from the 90s. You can see her on 227, which was a television show. Regina King has been acting for so long and she finally got her roses with this movie. She is one of the three Oscar nominations that this film received. This film received a nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay for Barry Jenkins, Best Original Score by Nicholas Patel, who also composed that banger, that banger of the Succession theme song. Also, for Miss Regina King, who ended up winning Best Supporting Actress, and for very good reason. She is excellent in this movie. She does so much with silences. She does so much with every single moment that she has, and that is what you call an acting as actor. The mom in this is a very, very important role. And at the same time, because of people's screen time in this film, unless you're Tish or Fani, it is more limited. So I would say Regina probably has, I don't know, maybe like 20 minutes in this film, maybe 30, because these scenes are quite long. So the I'm thinking of number of scenes, but because the scenes are long, she's probably in more of it than I'm thinking. But oh my God, that scene where she goes to Puerto Rico because the woman that has said that Fani raped her, this is a setup from the cop, she has gone back to Puerto Rico and there's some kind of shadiness going on around that. And at the same time, there is such a reality of this woman was raped by somebody and she did not want to be in New York anymore. So all of those things are charged and heading toward this scene. And Regina wants to do her best to save this young man's life that she has known for such a long time and is going to be the father to her daughter's child. So it's a very, very complicated situation. And the scene is just, oh my God, it is just heartbreaking and it is perfectly complicated. And she got that Oscar, she deserved that Oscar. Um, to be standing here representing um, one of the greatest artists of our time, James Baldwin. This it's a little surreal. Um, James Baldwin birthed this baby. And Barry, you nurtured her. You surrounded her with so much love and support. So it's appropriate for me to be standing here because I'm an example of what it looks like when support and love is poured into someone. Mom. I love you so much. I'm so happy for her. She's won hella Emmys at this point from the show American Crime. And then for Watchmen, she is just, she's just an inspiration, honestly. You know, there have been other movies that she definitely should have been nominated for, but she got nominated in one for this. And I think that that is perfect. I think that that is so perfect. 
Then we also have Tiana Paris, who Tiana Paris is blowing up now, thank God, and getting that Marvel money for playing Miss Monica Rambo, aka Photon, on WandaVision. Tiana is so good in this movie. When Fani's family comes over for the pregnancy announcement, Tiana Paris just reads these people for filth, and it is amazing. So it's so great to see her do that while also just provide so much love and support for Tish. And also, you know, something that always stands out in my mind is that scene where Tish is telling her own family that she's pregnant and Tiana Paris tells her to hold her head up. Hold your head up, sister. And there is such a strength, beauty, ease to this character that is just wonderful. And a boldness. She is so unafraid to stand up for her family, and I love that. I love that so much, and I'm so happy to see more Tiana Paris. Tiana Paris is also gonna be in Candyman, which, oh my God. I cannot wait to see that movie. I cannot wait to see the new Candyman. We also have Coleman Domingo, who I found out he is not single, which is really sad, but I have to tell y'all. So, uh, I made a video for the Black Star Film Festival when I was working on their late night show, Black Star Live. And I talked about how hot and talented Coleman Domingo is. And he replied to the video on Twitter. He said he thought it was funny. He was laughing out loud and he sent me light and love and he called me a fool. Do you understand that that is one of the biggest compliments I could have ever received? This man, like, knows who I am. Like, that is insane. That is so crazy. But anyway, Coleman is amazing as always in this fucking movie. He plays Tish's father, and whoever's idea it was to cast Regina King and Coleman Domingo as husband and wife is brilliant. This is why we need Oscars for casting. Yes, the casting guild has their thing, but goddamn, brilliant casting. Um, He is absolutely wonderful. Again, just such an ease with it. And I think it's really important to have actors who come from theater in a film like this because these scenes are quite long. These scenes do play out like scenes from a play, which I think can be tough for some people. Usually scenes in films are quite short. They're like, boom, bop, 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 bop. They're like page and a half, two pages, maybe three pages. A lot of the time, not all the time, but scenes in films can usually be quite short. These scenes are long. And that's another reason why I love it. It makes it feel more like a piece of literature. And when you have these long scenes, you need people with stamina. And you absolutely need that stamina to do eight shows a week on Broadway. You just need it. Or regardless of where you're performing, you need that stamina because play scenes are longer and you have to do multiple performances and there are no cuts. You're just on stage. You have to go for it and you have to live in the moment. So Coleman does wonderful work here. Again, I mean, this whole family unit is just just excellent, excellent peak acting going on here. So the other family unit is led by Michael Beach and Anjanu Ellis. They play Fani's mother and father. And... Anjanu Ellis, you may recognize from many, many things, but most recently she's played Hippolyta. But Anjanu Ellis is excellent in Lovecraft Country, and she's so excellent and so different in this. As Fani's mom, she plays a very uptight, very Christian, very just a hater. She's just a straight-up hater. She's kind of prissy. She is... uh, 
what one may call an uppity Negro, as are her daughters, played by Ebony Obsidian and Dominique Thorne, who Dominique Thorne gave an excellent performance this year in Judas and the Black Messiah. So Anjanu Ellis is so vastly different in this, and it's so great to see her have this range. She's in one scene and makes so much of an impact. And this is also a nuance here that I don't think a lot of whites and the Academy picked up on in this film. So this is the 70s in New York, and you'll notice that Tish and her sister are rocking naturals. They are rocking natural Afro curls. They're rocking their natty hair, their natural hair. Whereas Fonny's mother and sisters have permed hair that is put out very straight. It is very much kind of like that assimilative style because that's what they're trying to show you visually is that Tish and her sister are more rooted in their blackness in that way than Fani's mom and his sisters. And I think that that's a very important detail because it tells you a lot about them right off the bat. And that's very smart filmmaking. They don't even have to open their mouths. They just walk in with that hair and those costumes, those very like Sunday church best costumes, and you already know so much about them. And that is important. Film is a visual medium. I need to be able to tell a lot about these people without them even having to open their mouths. And it is insane that these costumes were ignored by the Academy and the makeup and hair was also ignored by the Academy because they did not understand. This is why we need more black people in these spaces because they would understand, they would see that as the brilliance that it is, and then they would move forward with nominating it and giving it the props that it deserves. We also, last but not least, in this performance breakdown shakedown, have Brian Tyree motherfucking Henry. This dude is so immensely talented. In 2018, he was in this film. He was in Widows. He was doing amazing work in the second season of Atlanta. He was a voice actor in BoJack Horseman and in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And he was also in White Boy Rig, which I haven't seen, Hotel Artemis, which I haven't seen, Irreplaceable You, which I have not seen, and a film called Family, which I haven't seen. So he had a fucking year in 2018. And his performance in this movie is just haunting. It is haunting. You get everything you need out of this man in like 10 minutes. Every single emotion that's possible. When he's recounting his time in prison, oh my God, you feel like a ghost has literally walked into this room. It is, it is just impeccable acting, impeccable acting. And everyone that I know that has seen the film has said so. And... I want this man, and he will one day, but I want this man to get his full set of fucking roses. He is one of the most talented actors working now, and again, a stage actor, a Yale School of Drama black actor. These YSD black actors be acting, and he is not an exception. He is absolutely brilliant in this film, and I would love to see him work with Barry again. I think that that is like a dream team kind of thing going on. There's just really not enough I could say about his performance in this movie. If you haven't seen this movie and you, for some stupid reason, have no intentions of seeing it, just watch his scene. It is astounding. Astounding. So now let's get into these aspects of loving and lighting. So in terms of loving, I think it is so important to see black love on screen, pure, unadulterated black love. And I think it's important that the conflict of the love stems from society as the antagonist. 
like we were talking about last week with Set It Off, the antagonist in this film is largely the society in form of the police and in form of the justice system, which is just very real. It is what we deal with day in and day out. And it's important that the love is not fractured by either party. It's not by the man or the woman being shitty to each other. And it's very important, too, that we see this Black love and this cast is mostly, like, darker-skinned Black folks. That's honestly not something that you see a whole, whole lot. And and it's needed because of representation. I mean, there was this study that came out. Well, not really a study, but someone on Twitter was talking about how so many of Hollywood's young black actresses that are popping, that are out and about, that are getting hired a lot, are lighter skinned. And again, this has nothing to do with those people. This is the Hollywood system that is perpetuating colorism and putting lighter skinned black people on a pedestal as being more beautiful, more talented, more marketable, which is not true at all. Case in point, Kiki Lane and Tiana Paris have been working a lot since this movie was released. And them being in this movie gave them a platform, gave them more visibility. And that's what we need to do for each other, honestly, because Hollywood is not going to do it for us. And that has been shown time and time again. So to see this black love in this film that is so pure and just so wonderful is so important. It's important for us to see that our love can survive and thrive through all the bullshit that this world puts us through. It's so important for us to see that because sometimes the society just beats down so hard on us that it makes it hard for us to believe that it's possible, you know? And also in terms of the love that Tish's family shows her when she tells them that she's pregnant with Fani's baby is just really beautiful and something that you don't see a whole lot in media either. I think a lot of times when there is that pregnancy reveal scene, you expect to see a lot of like, what? What do you mean? You're 19 years old. You can't be pregnant, blah, blah, blah. And even when Tisha's father, played by Coleman Domingo, asks her if she wants to have this baby, it's not for any other reason but because she is so young. And he doesn't ask her that out of like any hate or anger or anything. It's really out of love. And it's so important to see a black family unit really love each other because that is also something that society, white society, wants us to believe does not exist at large, but it does. And it's so beautiful to see portrayed so well in this film that her family has her back through and through, that her family has Fonny's back through and through. It's really, really beautiful and gorgeous. And there's also a lot of love coming from this adaptation, right? Barry Jenkins obviously has a lot of love for this material, and he has so much love and care in terms of adapting it. This really does feel like you're watching a novel with all the beautiful textures in it and all of the gravitas from the novel still intact in the movie. It's really gorgeous and it has so much respect and love in it. I think that when you are a master of your craft, <laughs> as Barry Jenkins is, and you are adapting another master of their craft, which is James Baldwin, you have to approach it with love. And he really does. The love just is brimming, not only through the words, but through all of the design aspects. The care and the attention to detail is just so absolutely there and so beyond exquisite. And I think that 
for me, seeing this black love is so important because, you know, whenever I'm talking about love on the podcast, I talk about how my love life is so up and down. It is really bananas. I mean, especially in this time of choir, it's just... It's important for me to see it so that I can believe it. You know, even though this is a heterosexual couple, that doesn't really matter. For some reason, this, when I see some straight couples on screen, I'm just like, ah, straight couple problems, blah, 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 blah. But for some reason, this material just transcends that. And I think maybe because the book was written by a queer person, and though Barry Jenkins is not queer, there is a softness to his sensibility that I love. I mean, it's part of the reason why he was so good at adapting Moonlight and is so good at adapting a piece like this. He's a sensitive one, and I love that. I love to see that, and I think I love to see when Black men can bring a sensitivity to their filmmaking. I think it is very beautiful, and it shows a side of us that, again, the media and society at large don't want us to see, but it's there, it exists, and I think this is such a great sign and a great signal and a great way to show our vulnerability as Black men is directing and approaching a piece like this the way that Barry does. And in terms of the design, let's talk about this lighting and also some of the design at large. So something about this movie that struck me the first time when I was seeing it is that these black people are lit so incredibly well, and that's honestly not something that you see a lot. The There is kind of an amber to so much of the lighting, especially when we're inside of Tish's family home, that just highlights the hues in these actors' skins so beautifully. Everyone just looks so rich and textured. And it also helps that the design in this movie in terms of the costumes and uh, the production design, it feels less like you're watching a period piece, like you're watching a piece about the 70s that was made in 2018. And it feels like you're watching a black film that was made in the 70s. It's so gorgeous. It is so smart. And it makes you think and realize that there's this whole era of films that were kind of missed out on because they weren't made or they weren't allowed to be made. But this really does feel like that. It really transports you in such a beautiful way. There's so many golds, yellows, greens, browns, especially, again, when we're talking about Tish's environment in her family home. And these costumes are just gorgeous, and they follow a very similar color scheme. Again, I was talking about the beginning with that kind of yellow gold and that blue that Tish and Fani are wearing. It's just gorgeous. It makes such a difference when you are working with a Black director and you have Black people on the crew who are very attuned and sensitive to the fact that a lot of times Black people are not lit super, super well, especially when they're in a bunch of scenes of white people, like trying to get that evenness and that balance. And I've seen it on a set before. It's very difficult to achieve. And the white people and the lighter skinned people are kind of put ahead and kind of put on a pedestal in that way in terms of the lighting. And that is not the case in this movie. Everyone looks fucking gorgeous. And I love it so much. And it sucks how rare that is as well. That it is very rare when you see a film with black people and you're just like, oh my God, this lighting is stunning and complements all of our features, all of our beautiful features. And there's also, in terms of loving and lighting, there are references to a film that I think is also gorgeous, another Asian film, 
uh, called In the Mood for Love, directed by Wong Kar Wai. And I think it's important to talk about Asian film on this podcast every once in a while because our films inspire their films and their films inspire our films. I think Spike Lee gets a lot of inspiration from Asian film and... Barry Jenkins gets a lot of inspiration from Asian films. And this film, In the Mood for Love, is a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous film. And the scenes where Tish and Fani are in the restaurant definitely echo moods from that film, definitely echo shots and lighting schemes from that film. And I think that when referencing these films, it's important for me to put you onto those films that these people are referencing too. So check out In the Mood for Love when you get a chance. It's streaming on the Criterion channel and it is a beautiful, astounding film. And Barry is also in a relationship with a woman named Lulu Wong, who is an amazing, amazing Chinese filmmaker. She made the film The Farewell, which is a beautiful, beautiful film that's also worth checking out. So it's important to talk about our solidarity in life as Asian Americans are experiencing more and more racial violence in this country. I think it's important for us to unite with them as people who have gone through centuries of racial violence. It's important for our communities to really unite. And this is one of the ways that you see us unite all the time is through film. And I think that that is gorgeous. And this design in If Bill Street Could Talk is just absolute perfection. And... In conclusion, I think this film is absolutely exquisite. Absolutely fucking exquisite. I think following up a film like Moonlight is not an easy task, but Barry did such an excellent job with this film. I will never, ever in my life forgive Annapurna for not going hard for this film for the Oscar campaign and instead choosing to campaign for Vice, which is a terrible, terrible, terrible film about fucking Dick Cheney. This film should have been nominated for Best Director, Best Costume Design, Best Production Design, Best Cinematography, Best Supporting Actor for Brian Tyree Henry, and Best Fucking Picture. This film was lost in the shuffle that year in terms of Oscars. Green Book fucking won, and it was... Ugh, terrible, terrible, terrible. But If Bill Street Could Talk will not be lost within the canon of amazing black films. This film is now streaming on Hulu. I implore you to check it out if you have not. Oh my life, I hate to the time has come for the You Better Act Award. Yes. So if you are new to the show, the You Better Act Award is an award that I give out every week to a performance that I think is just absolutely outstanding that I want to give more props to. And I do that because there's really nothing I love more than a great performance. So... This week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please, Janelle Monet in Moonlight. So Moonlight, also directed by Barry Jenkins, duh, of course, was released in 2016. And of course, Moonlight is about a young man named Chiron who grapples with the fact that he's gay and also his relationship with his mother who struggles with addiction in a Miami neighborhood. Janelle plays Teresa, who is Juan's girlfriend, and Juan is played by Mayershala Ali, who won Best Supporting Actor that year. And Teresa is such a loving support to Chiron as a young child and as a teen. Her performance is so warm and filled with ease, and it was such a surprise for me to see someone who is known for her theatrics as a musical artist and in concert bring such a softness to this role. Now, I have seen Janelle Monet in concert three times now, I think three times, and her on stage is a sight to behold, and she gives such a big performance on stage that it is so great to see the versatility in her as a performer in this movie. 
There were so many amazing performances in this film, but this one really stuck with me, especially considering that this was her first film role, and I still think that it is the best acting that she has done to date. I have not seen Antebellum, and I have not seen her season of Homecoming, but I think that if she works with more great directors, that she can really, really stand on her own as an actor. If you have not seen Moonlight, Moonlight is now streaming on Netflix and Canopy, so check it out. So in closing, some food for thought. What other works by the late, great James Baldwin would you like to see adapted for the screen? I personally would love to tackle an adaptation of Giovanni's Room. That is one of my favorite books by James Baldwin, and I think there is such a cinematic quality to it already that... It would be amazing to adapt. And also seeing the success of a film like Call Me By Your Name, I think that this is a better version of a European gay love story that I would love to approach and do a couple different things with it, but mostly keep it the same and honor it the way that Barry Jenkins honored If Beale Street Could Talk. But what about you? What do y'all think? Comment on our Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Follow us on Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple. Give us a rating if you'd like. And follow us on Spotify if that is how you listen. Thank you, per usual, to the team, to our audio engineer, Matt Mozzarella, to our production assistant, Cindy Edward, and to our executive producer, Miss Amanda Seals. Next week, we will be switching gears ever so slightly for the first annual ABC Oscar Extravaganza. I will be talking about the nominees in the major categories and some of the things that I wished would have happened for the nominees and some things that I wish will happen for the night of the ceremony. So till then, stay safe, stay black, and stay blessed. Bye. Great.